Well, before we begin our time in God's Word this morning, I just want to mention that uh, we want to celebrate with Stone Oak this morning. Uh, they're going to be baptizing 12 people out at Stone Oak this morning. So, as you know, we opened that campus. It hasn't quite been a year, but God has been doing some amazing things out at Stone Oak under Pastor Will Davis and the team that is there, and we're very excited uh, for what God is doing in that area of Stone Oak and beyond. Well, there was a search firm that was compiling a list of things to include on a resume if you um, wanted to get a job, and they also included some things you did not want to list. And so here's, here's a partial list of the things that they culled from actual resumes. One person had written, please don't misconstru- misconstrue my 14 jobs as job hopping. I've never quit a job yet. Here's a good one for this morning. My goal is to be a meteorologist, but since I possess no training in meteorology, I suppose I should try being a stockbroker. It's best for employees that I not work with people. Uh, Let's meet so you can ooh and awe over my experience. And in the area of references, I have none. I've left a path of destruction behind me everywhere I've worked. Well, that's some pretty good advice for things not to include on your resume. But what if you already have a job? What kind of advice can we offer this morning about the way we're to work? Well, I invite you to turn with me in your Bible to Ephesians chapter 6, because in Ephesians chapter 6, God gives us some guidelines on what we're to do when we work. In Ephesians 6, 5 through 9, it tells us this. Slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh. With fear and trembling in the sincerity of your heart, as to Christ, not by way of eye service as men-pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. With good will, render service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good thing each one does, that he will receive back from the Lord, whether slave or free. And masters, do the same thing to them and give up threatening, knowing that both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. Now, as we read this, uh, the word slave doesn't really fit our context in this day. So you can, you can replace the word slave with whatever your situation is and then master with who's over you. For instance, if you're in the military, uh, put soldier for slave and commanding officer or chain of command for master. If you're a student in school, then that can be slave and teacher or principal would be your master. Whatever the context, uh, employees can fit here for slaves and superiors as masters. Now, some of you may say, well, Roger, I actually like the original rendering here because I work for a slave master who pays me uh, slave wages. And so that that fits my, my situation. Slavery in Paul's day, when this was written in the first century, was a mixed uh, situation. There were those that were under uh, slavery, as we think of it, in terms of an evil system. There were those who were prisoners of war who had been captured and forced to work. There were others that owed a debt they could not pay and were forced into slavery. But at other times, it was a voluntary indenturing. It was, it was a time where a person uh, would put themselves under a system of slavery, where they would receive an education, where they would receive medical care, where in many cases they would be taken better care of than if they were on their own. And after that period of service was over, uh, they would have a marketable skill and they would be able to go out and be on their own. In our day, we have something similar. Uh, 
Some of you have been through our service academies, military uh, colleges where you have said to the government, in, in, in trading in for an education, you will then give a set number of years of service to the military. Others of you in corporate America have been brought into training programs where the corporation said, we will give you a set amount of training and you owe us a number of years of work for that training. Even if you've never entered into a long-term relationship, a contract of one of those kinds, at its core, all of us here indenture ourselves when we work for somebody. Because what we're doing is we're saying in return for compensation, a paycheck, you will get use of my time, my talents, uh, who I am for a set number of hours of work per week. So as we're reading this, um, what we see here is, is a, a system that, that applies to us. Now, as we talk about what it means to place ourselves under the control of somebody, there's limits to what this means. I want you to remember where we are in Ephesians chapter 6 is following the section out of Ephesians 5 where we talked about submission. Wives to husbands, children to parents. And, and workers are under the same system of submission. And you'll recall that that word, hupotasso, which describes a military chain of command, says that when you work for somebody, in this case, you're under an authority, a supervisor, a boss, an owner. But ultimately, at the top of that chain of command is what we've seen all throughout. Jesus Christ is at the head of it. And so what that means is if you have an employer who wants you to do something illegal or immoral, as we're told here as workers to submit to those over us, it's not saying that you give them a blank check, that you do whatever they say, because God's word will trump what they're asking you to do. So if you're being asked to do something that is against God, then you obey God. Now, if you have a situation where your employer says, I want you to put on a chicken suit, and I want you to stand in the driveway and wave cars in, uh, you're to do that. Because remember, you've indentured yourself for your time and abilities. And you may say, well, Roger, that's well below what I'm able to do. And if that's the case, you have the freedom to leave that place of employment. But as long as they're paying you for your time, uh, if what they're asking you to do is not contrary to, to what God wants you to do, we're to obey it. Now, you, you may be uh, saying, as I mentioned, it's below my dignity and I don't want to do that. But I want you to look at what it says here. When it comes to the control that we place ourselves under, notice that it says they are our masters according to the flesh. So that's what we do. But it doesn't mean it's who we are, and it doesn't mean it controls how we think. I've talked to people before that say, Roger, I work in a place where I'm not allowed to, uh, to witness or to pray. And what I tell people is uh, you can witness by the way you work, and you can pray inwardly. They can control your, your outside, but they can't control the way you think. They can't control your thoughts and what you're, what you're doing. When I was in college, I, I had a number of jobs that I would work in the summer. And one of them, a couple of summers, I worked for a municipality north of Dallas. And this city, I worked in their streets and landscape department. And so uh, I would jackhammer streets. I would push a mower down mile after mile of medians. And while I was doing that, there was an outward physical labor I was doing but I was using my mind during that time to uh, serve the Lord. And I did that. One of the ways I did that was I took three by five index cards and I would write out verses of scripture that I wanted to memorize. And it was good to be memorizing scripture because if I stepped off the median in the traffic, I would have gone home to be with the Lord. So I kept my mind focused on eternity. 
But another thing is I would clip these onto these industrial mowers that I was pushing down these medians. Uh, you know, the crews that I would work with, there were some, some men who worked year-round there, and then there were other uh, summer laborers like myself, and they loved giving me grief. They, they go, uh, hey, college boy, what, what is that, the instructions? You know, as you got the, the card there. And I would say, yeah, it's the instructions, not, not to how to run the mower, but it's the instructions for life. And then I would share with them what the good word was from the good book. And it got to the point that people would ask me every day. They knew I'd be carrying these cards. And they'd say, they'd say hey, Raj, what is the good word for the day? And uh, you would rotate among different crews. And it got to the point where so many would ask. I got permission from uh, the overseers of that department to even write one verse on the corner of the chalkboard in the break room so everybody could see the good word for the day. Now, as I was working there, uh, my second summer, I ended up blowing out my uh, ankle, not at work, but I was playing summer league for basketball, not, not for the Spurs. Uh, they, they, they didn't have me in their summer league, but I was just playing, you know, pickup stuff, and I tore all the ligaments up in my ankle. And the result was I had to wear a, one of those boot casts that came all the way to your knee. Well, I could not operate heavy equipment at work. I was a liability. And they could have said to me, we're sorry, we're going to have to terminate your employment. But because I had been such a good employee and had, had, I was about to say infected, I guess I did infect the environment, (laughs) had affected the environment, they said, uh, let's see if we can find a place for you to stay. I don't say that to brag. I just mention that because if it were you and you were to suddenly give your employer a reason where they could let you go, would they be excited and happy that they could terminate you? Or would they say, you're valuable to the organization, and we want to find something for you to do here so you can stay on. And so the only thing they could do that would not be a liability is they said, well, you can work in the building. You know, there was a big uh, building with the, the bays with all the equipment, and there were shower facilities and break areas. And they said, how about you become the custodian uh, for the building? And so I would come to work, and I would uh, clean the building. And as I did so, uh, the building was a wreck. You can imagine a bunch of streets and landscape people coming in, the the dirt and grime and everything they track into the building. And the previous guy who did the job would literally take a fire hose in the shower stalls and bathrooms, and he would just hose the building down. That was his way of cleaning it. Well, I started really cleaning the building. In fact, I started scrubbing the potties until they would shine. And uh, people asked me, why are you doing that? You know, you don't have to do that. And as they would ask me, I would quote them Colossians 3.23. And Colossians 3.23 says, Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men. Whatever you do, do your work heartily for the Lord rather than for men. And the Bible tells us that what we're doing, whether we're doing the dishes or closing on some big deal at work, we're doing our work for the Lord. And this opened up all kinds of opportunities uh, to talk to people. One of those that I ended up, that summer I led two men to the Lord. One was on the uh, construction crews that I used to work with, and another was the assistant city manager. And this was a guy who was many years older than me. He was a career guy coming to work in his suit and tie. And he would ask me, why are you doing this? You know, you don't have to do that. And I would quote that verse and I would talk to him. And as I was emptying the trash in the front offices and doing things, we had many opportunities to talk. And I heard about how he was struggling in his marriage and problems at work and other things. 
And I ended up being able to point him to Christ. And he came to faith in Christ. And it came about because of the way that I was cleaning the toilets. It came about because of my attitude when I would wax the floors and I would clip the cards on my you know, thing when you're going down a hallway and people would go, what is that? And I could share with them. And so as you think in terms of where you are and what you're doing at work, recognize that, that you are witnessing for the Lord through how you work. Many of you have heard of a lady by the name of Ann Graham Lotz. She is the daughter of Billy Graham. And Ann Graham Lotz is uh, known for going around the United States and speaking to packed houses of, of uh, you know, auditoriums full of people sharing the good news of the gospel. And she goes home, and above her sink, above her uh, sink in the kitchen, she has a sign that is hanging there, and it says, Divine Service Offered Here Three Times a Day. So here's a woman who is, understands that there is this public witness that she has, and at home she has just as public a witness with her family. And she says, Divine Service Rendered Here Three Times a Day. As she's doing the dishes or cooking or other things, she recognizes that is as high a calling as what she's doing when she's in an opportunity to share the word of God. You know, so many times we make the mistake of thinking that God separates the sacred and the secular. As believers, we think when we show up here on a Sunday morning, as we study the Bible, when we're in a midweek study, or when there's somebody like a pastor who's up there preaching the word, we say, well, that's sacred. And what I do at work, well, that's secular stuff. And what God says is there is no separation of the sacred and the secular. The two are always hand in glove together. I've, I've had jobs in restaurants and retail. I've, I've clerked in a law firm and I've done construction. I've been a policeman and a pastor. And in every case, uh, wherever I am, those are opportunities to be a witness for the Lord. And whatever situation God has you, uh, you have that same opportunity to have a testimony. And a lot of it comes through what we do. Now, unfortunately, some Christians have a very poor witness at work. As a pastor, I talk to a number of men and women who own businesses, who go to our church, others who are supervisors and managers. And one of the constant complaints I hear from them is they'll say, Roger, some of my worst workers are fellow Christians. They say some of my worst employees are other believers. And they will, they will tell me how Christians will stand around and they call it fellowship or if they, as a believer, talk to another Christian and they say, look, you need to be doing a better job, uh, they'll get a response back like, well, where's the grace, brother? Where's the grace, sister? And um, those are unfortunate opportunities. Because we, as we're going to see in a moment, as believers, when we work for another Christian, we're called to actually work harder for a believer than we do for a non-believer. But in terms of these Christians who are at work, sometimes they say, well, we're witnessing. And uh, how many times have you ever found yourself in line at a grocery store or some other place and, and the cashier is witnessing to the person ahead of you? And you see that person's just saying, you know, I want to pay and get out. And the line is getting longer and people are getting frustrated. And, and, and your witness isn't very good, is it? Because what people are doing is they say, we want you to be doing your job. First Timothy 6.1 tells us this. Let all who are under the yoke as slaves regard their own masters as worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and our doctrine may not be spoken against. By failing to fulfill our jobs as men and women at work, as believers, we can compromise our witness. 
Um, I had a Christian manager tell me one time, they went to this employee over and over and said, I need you to do your job. And, and the person would not, you know, they'd say, well, I'm telling everybody about all that God's doing in my life and through me. And this manager said, well, do you think God could do something for the company through you? And uh, this person just kind of laughed it off. And ultimately, this believer got fired because it was causing customers and coworkers and others to complain. And so while they said they were witnessing, as 1 Timothy 6.1 just told us, our witness can be compromised uh, by what we're doing. I'm not telling you not to witness for God at work. You should. We should be fired up at work for what we're doing. As I mentioned, I've, I've witnessed for God in every area that I've ever worked. And you can be promoted as believers by doing a good job at work. Uh, wherever you are, you should be sharing your faith. But if you're being a lousy employee, you can lose the opportunity to share your faith. Now, listen, friends, I don't live in a bubble. I know that some of you are in workplaces where you're saying, Roger, being a believer is hard. I'm the only Christian on my crew. I'm the only believer uh, in, in the places where I work. I have a boss who's antagonistic or even a few layers up. Uh, the chain of command is, is anti-Christian, and it's hard for me to be a witness at work. And I understand that. I've been in plenty of those places. But what I've seen is when you were a good employee, when you were doing a great job, people look at that and they notice. And if you have somebody who's out to get you and you're doing a great job, it brings the motives to the surface because they can't speak against how you're working as an employee. There are so many Christians I talk to who say, Roger, I'm getting persecuted at work. And as I listen to the story, the details, I've had to say to some of them, you're creating your own situation. Uh, You're not being persecuted. You're being a poor employee, and you need to do better in what you're doing. So as you look in terms of yourself and what we're doing, verse 5 tells us we are to work with fear and trembling. Now, this doesn't mean that you shake and cringe before your boss. We've talked about what this word fear means earlier in Ephesians. It's a word that means to be zealous. It it has the meaning here of to be anxious in the care you give so as not to come short. It means you give everything in the effort you're doing. And as you do so, you're to do it showing respect. Even when our bosses don't seem to deserve uh, our best, what are we to do? Well, we talked earlier when we talked about husbands and wives where it said, wives, even if your husband is not doing what he should do, by your chasing respectful behaviors, you might be able to win your husbands over. We talked to the men about how we're called to be servant leaders, loving our wives as Christ loved the church. And the same thing is here, where if you're saying, I have a boss who's not deserving of my extra effort or my respect, listen to what 1 Peter 2.18 tells us. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. 1 Peter 2.18, servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. As we've seen in our previous passages, when we submit, we are ultimately submitting to Christ because it is that chain of command where God is at the top. And it's the same thing here. When you are a good witness at work through the work you do, it's ultimately being done for Christ. As you look at the way you work, imagine for a moment you were having a job review and the person sitting across the table from you is not your earthly boss, but it's Jesus Christ. 
And if Jesus Christ were sitting there giving you your job review, would he say, I'm pleased with the way you work for me? Would he think of the way that you are doing your business at your place of business is is a way that honors uh, who he is? Now, if you're in a place where everybody's a believer, maybe you're saying, well, that means I can just sit back and coast. But as I mentioned a moment ago, it means we're to work even harder because 1 Timothy 6.2 says this, And let those who have believers as their masters not be disrespectful to them because they are brethren, but let them serve all the more because those who partake of the benefit are believers and beloved. And it ends by saying, teach and preach these principles. Exactly what I'm doing today. You see, we're not to take advantage of a Christian boss. If you have a supervisor who is a believer, it says you're to work harder for him or her. You're, you're to recognize not only that you have a witness, but you're, you're also benefiting that believer if you're a good worker. There was a Christian company that had to post this notice on their office break room. As you went into the break room on the cork board, it had this actual uh, notice up. The management regrets that it has come to their attention that workers dying on the job are failing to fall down. This practice must stop because it becomes impossible to distinguish between death and the natural movement of the staff. Any employees found dead in an upright position will be dropped from the payroll. Yeah, they were trying a a humorous approach to a not-so-funny situation, weren't they? Here was a Christian company with a Christian workforce that was not working. And it was affecting everything, the culture, uh, the bottom line of the company. And ultimately, they were saying it's going to cost some of the people here their jobs. There's a football coach named Vince Lombardi, a famous guy from the past. And he once said, if you're not fired with enthusiasm then you'll be fired with enthusiasm. And as you think about the way you're working, are you somebody who's fired with enthusiasm? Can people look at you and say, there's a man, there's a woman who works hard. And then will they ask you questions like that city manager asked me, why are you doing this? And then will it open doors for you and your workplace? Now, you're being paid to do a job. And if you're not doing it, you're stealing from the company. You'll recall earlier in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28, we read these words. He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good. And as we looked at that part of the passage, we talked about how uh, if you're not doing your work, you're stealing from the company just as much as if you went into the storeroom and took supplies home or if you took merchandise from the floor of the store. Because you're being paid to perform something. And if you're not producing, then you're not doing your job. You're literally stealing from the company. Now, if you're stealing in any of those ways, what it tells us here is to stop and start honoring God and how you work. And as you honor God, it says you will be honored as well. I want you to to look at verse 8 because what it tells us here is even if you never get the promotion or pay you think you deserve here on earth, you're going to be receiving full payment from God. Verse 8 says, knowing that whatever good thing each one does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether slave or free. In the Greek text, this is a future tense verb. And so what that means is you may not get your paycheck that you think you deserve here on earth, but there is a time coming in eternity 
When we go into the millennial kingdom, that thousand-year reign of Christ here on earth, and as we're spending all eternity in the new heavens and the new earth with God, it says the way we have lived our lives, what we have done here during our 50, 70, 100 years of life we have will affect our rewards for all eternity. And what it says is the way we are working, uh, God will pay us for that when we get home. Because remember, there's no separation between the sacred and the secular. The two are intertwined. And as we live and as we work, it says here in verse 5, we are to serve with sincerity. This word sincerity literally means without folds. It means there's nothing hidden. What you see is what you get. It was also used... uh, Potters would would, uh, make and sculpt bowls and cups and and various jars. And as they were fired or dried in the sun, occasionally these clay pots would crack. And and something that was cracked would leak out. It wasn't worth much. Many times you would just throw it aside. Well, merchants began to fill in the cracks with wax. And, and they would hide it and you would buy something and you'd get home and you'd fill it. And if something, if the sun heated it or it got hot, the crack would become apparent and everything would leak out. And so merchants began to advertise their pottery as being sincere, which literally meant without wax. They were saying what you see is what you get. And people would buy pottery and go outside and hold it up to the sun. And they would see, is there a hidden flaw? And so as God says we're to work with sincerity, it means we're not to be two-faced. We're we're to be who uh, we purport ourselves to be. Don't don't name anybody's name out loud here, but do any of you have any co-workers who are two-faced? Do you uh, go into work and you know the person will smile at you or, or at the boss especially, butter up the boss and act like a real hard worker and as soon as the supervisor walks away, they go to slacking off or they start talking about and backstabbing the boss? Have you ever seen, seen that? And so what it's telling us here is we're not to be like that. Uh, we're to be those who what we see or what we get, we're to be hard workers whether the boss is wa- watching us or not. In verse 6, it says, we're not to do one thing when people are watching and something different when they're not around. There was a cafeteria in a Christian college. And if you've ever had a meal plan in a dorm, you know, you go in and you can go through the line and you get your food. And then sometimes they'll have, you know, fruit set out or other stuff there to kind of put on your tray as well. Well, Uh, Many college students will fill their pockets with extra food, right? Maybe you only have a couple of meals in your meal plan and you're going, well, this is going to be dinner or this is going to be Sunday when the dorm cafeteria is closed. And in this Christian college, they had this problem where people were packing their pockets full of food. And it it was not leaving enough food for people who were coming in. And fruit was especially a problem because that was uh, something people liked to take with them. And one day, the, the manager of the cafeteria was setting out a big bowl of juicy red apples, and, and he knew that this was going to be a popular thing to take. So he put a sign up by the bowl of apples, and it said, please take only one, one apiece, and remember that God is watching. Now, some student in this Christian college uh, had written a sign and put it on the adjacent table where there was a platter of cookies out. And this student sign said, take all the cookies you want. God is watching the apples. (laughs) It wasn't a very good Christian college, I guess, because they didn't teach the omniscience and omnipresence of God, that, that he can be everywhere and see all things at once. 
And in some cases, you may say, you know, Roger, I work really hard and my boss never sees it. But friends, I want to tell you that God sees what you're doing. He's in all places. He knows all things. And even if your earthly boss misses how hard you're working and what you're doing, our heavenly master doesn't miss it. And the Bible says God is not unjust so as to miss the work that we do. And what we're told here is God will reward us in the future, if not in the present. In verse 6, Paul reminds us that ultimately it's God we're serving. He says, we are not to work by way of eye service as men pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. The Greek word for heart is cardia. That's why we have cardiologists. Now, he uses this word cardia in verse 5, but in verse 6, he uses a different Greek word, which is suke. And suke is where we get psychology from. It speaks of the soul or the mind. And so he, he weaves this beautiful picture as he speaks of the heart and the soul and, or life together. And what he's saying here is the living we make is not separated from the life we live as a Christian. The living that we make is not separated from the life we live as a Christian. You see, these are intertwined. As I said earlier, we cannot separate the sacred from the secular. Uh, this is who we are. God made us to work. Some people mistakenly think that the work didn't come about till after the fall when the curse was placed on Adam and Eve. If you read through Genesis, you see man and woman were tending the garden before the fall. The fall brought about the curse where he says, now uh, through the sweat of your brow and in labor, you're going to be battling the corrupted creation. God has always designed us to work. It's who we are. It's why when we get home to heaven, we're not sitting on a cloud strumming harps. We have responsibilities. We're going we're gonna to be doing things all throughout eternity. God has made us to work. And you can't separate your, your living from your life as a believer. We will get paid here on earth for the work we do, but old, the ultimate payday comes when we walk through the gates of heaven. Paul says in verse 7, with good will render service as to the Lord and not to men. When we work, it's ultimately God that we serve, and it's God who will reward us. Now, you may be sitting here this morning saying, well, Roger, this sermon's not for me because I'm retired. So it's, it's great that you're talking to these people about working, but I'm done with that chapter of my life. Uh, friends, if you're still breathing, God's not done with you yet. Just because there's a little snow on the roof, it doesn't mean the fire in the heart goes out. And I can say that because I have a little snow on the roof. Uh, some have got a blizzard going on right now. Uh, but... God wants us working because it's ultimately him that we work for. And you know, one of the things I love about Wayside Chapel is how I see our seniors involved in working. All throughout this church, there are men and women who are in what I term the encore generation. They're in the second season of life. They're done with what we think of as traditional work, but it doesn't mean they're done impacting the kingdom. Uh, we're going to be having communion. Men, we're not ready for it yet, but at the end of the service, we're going to be having communion. If you've ever wondered who prepares all these elements, if you come up here on a Friday morning uh, and go into the the room behind this wall, the green room, you'll find there are five or six retired men who meet every Friday morning. They're the ones who stuff the bulletins that you guys get with all the inserts. They're the ones who prepare the communion. 
And as I walk in there on a Friday morning, uh, it's a great group of guys. They're sitting in there eating breakfast tacos, and they're visiting, and they're swapping lies. I mean, uh, telling stories. And they're having a good time. And whenever I walk in, they go, oh, Pastor, we're working. And I go, I see that, you know. And, and after they do what they're doing, then the, you know, we bring them donuts on Fridays, too. They're a pretty cheap workforce. And uh, then they eat donuts, but these are guys who are saying, we're done and we have time and we can serve and they're fellowshipping together. Uh, this past week, we had a, a funeral here. And if you look at our funeral committee and you look at the, the mainly men and women that are ushering and serving the, the refreshments and the fellowship uh, time after the memorial, most of these are retired men and women as well. They're serving a vital, loving function in our church. If you go over to the children's building right now, there are many men and women who are empty nesters who are serving the children and the student and uh, mentoring the kids there. We have older couples who are marriage mentors in our young marriage classes. As I said, just because you're done with what you think of traditional work, you're not done serving the Lord. God has plenty of work for us and we're all still on his payroll. And it applies to us who are uh, still in the middle of our working years. God says what you're doing at work is part of your ministry. So do not separate the sacred and the secular. As Paul talks about being accountable and our future rewards, he reminds us as well, it's not just the employees. Look, he talks to those who are in the position as supervisors, as employers, as owners of businesses. What he says to these men and women is, you too will be judged for how you carry out your stewardship. Verse 9 says, And masters, do the same things to them and give up threatening, knowing that both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. There's a Japanese proverb that says, If he works for you, you work for him. If he works for you, you work for him. And anybody who's in a position of leadership here understands that. Because you know that if you have people who work for you, you work for them. Because you're responsible for making payroll, for making sure the benefits are are good benefits. You're responsible for resourcing, whether through equipment or training. And it's it's not that you're at the top and and enjoying everything. You are working uh, for the other people who work for you. And this is what God reminds us of here. Paul says we all work for God, and we're all going to be held responsible for how we treat those who work for us. I asked earlier if you were having a job review and Jesus Christ were across the table talking to you. I want you as a supervisor, as a manager, as an owner. If you're a man or a woman in that position, I want you to picture yourself sitting across the table from Christ. And if he were to look at you today and say, uh, how are you treating your employees? What would he say to you? Would he say you've created a culture that is one of mutual respect? Would he say that you pay pay your workers a fair wage? That you don't try to shave uh, the corners and, and cut everything you can so that you can get away with paying the least possible amount? Now, please hear me clearly. I'm not promoting this uh, narrative in our culture that says everybody should be paid the same. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible talks about a laborer is worthy of his hire, and it says you shouldn't muzzle an oxen while it's threshing. The, the point of the matter is that whoever is working should, should receive rewards from their work, and that includes those with higher responsibility. There should be higher compensation because they carry the stresses. They carry the responsibilities. 
so a, a person at the front counter shouldn't be making what the the person in the C-suite is making because there is higher levels of responsibility. There was a Christian businessman by the name of Fred Smith, and he was leaving the factory that he owned one day, and as he was walking out yet again late at night when most of the other employees had left, as he walked out, one of the long-term custodians of the company was there, and he said, oh, Mr. Smith, so good to see you. I see you're working late again. He said, yeah, it's been, been another long day. And this custodian said to him, Mr. Smith, I sure would like your money. But then he said, but I don't want the headaches to come with it. I mean, here was a person who understood that, yes, there were privileges uh, that this man experienced, but he also said there's a lot that goes with it. So as I'm talking about paying your employees well and and working for them, I want you to ask yourself uh, for a moment, if you were to switch places, Say you're a a supervisor and you were to switch places with your subordinate today and you were to take the pay that they receive for the work that they do, you were able to offload the stress, the responsibilities that go with it. Would you feel that you are being adequately paid for the job that you're doing? Could you honestly say, I believe I'm getting a fair wage for what I'm now doing? And if you're in a, in a subordinate role, I want you to switch places in that scenario with your supervisor. And I want you to ask yourself, if you were to suddenly take on the job and all that comes with it of your supervisor or the owner and all the, the responsibilities, the liabilities that come with that company, could you honestly say that the way you are working, the effort you give, uh, would advance the organization, would allow uh, that company to move forward, and would you really be deserving of the pay that that person above you is making. There's a man named Ed Atkinson, and he said there are two things that are needed these days. First, for rich men to find out how poor men live. For rich men to find out how poor men live. And second, for poor men to know how rich men work. And second, for poor men to know how rich men work. If you turn to the Old Testament book of Ruth, you don't have to turn there today, but if you've never read that book, it's a beautiful short story for you to read. In the book of Ruth, we see how these two things we're talking about can come together. It comes together in Ruth chapter 2 where there's a man by the name of Boaz. Boaz is this guy who owns a number of fields. He employs a number of workers. It's the harvest season. Production is under full Uh, swing. You've got all these people that are in the fields working. And Boaz shows up. He walks onto the factory floor, so to speak, in Ruth chapter 2, verse 4. And there it says, now behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and he said to the reapers, may the Lord be with you. And they said to him, may the Lord bless you. So picture that for a moment and ask yourself if you were the boss And you're walking into your place of business today. If you're a a man or a woman in that role, a supervisor, a manager, I want you to picture walking in the the doors of your company Monday morning. What, What does it look like? Do you come in a back entrance where nobody ever sees you? Or if you were to walk through the front doors and and walk through uh, the place where everybody's working, what would it be like? Would you walk through with your head down, not making eye contact with anybody? Or, or, or do you stop and greet people? Do you say to the people who work for you, hey, how was your weekend? What's going on? May the Lord bless you. And as you do so, how do your employees respond? 
do they bless you back or do they blast you? Do they, do they give you that little fake smile with their teeth gritted and they're cursing you under their breath? Oh, Mr. or Mrs. Big Shot's here. Good to see you. Uh, drop dead. You know? Uh, what's it like when you walk into your place of business? Boaz, as he walked into the field where the workers were, these day laborers, these other people who were doing hard manual labor in the hot sun, you read about all Boaz did. He's feeding them. He's providing water. He's covering. He's doing all kinds of things. The people could genuinely say, the Lord bless you. They said, this is a great boss. We love working for you. In verse 9, it says, there is to be no partiality. There's no partiality with God, it says. You read the Bible, it says God is no respecter of persons. He doesn't care whether you're the CEO or the custodian. He sees you for who you are, created in his image, a man or a woman, valuable, worth dying for. This word, no partiality, is a a very interesting word. It literally described coming up to a person, taking them by the chin. You would walk up to somebody and you would lift their chin so that you could look at them in the face and you would study them. And the picture here is not that God walks up to certain people and lifts them up and says, well, this one's, you know, important. Uh, This one's not. It says there's no partiality with God. He sees them the same. And as you think in terms of you and, and the way that you work, can you say that you show no partiality as well? As you think about what we've talked about today and you were to picture yourself going back to your workplace on Monday or maybe some of you will be working midnight to eight in the morning tonight. And as you walk into your workplace, are there some changes you need to make? If you're in a supervisory role, do you need to change the way you treat your direct reports? Do you need to start showing uh, the care and compassion that God calls you to? Is there something you need to confess to God? Have you treated your employees poorly? Have you not paid them well? The Bible says if it's within your power to pay somebody, do not withhold that. Do you need to change the way that you're working? If you're an employee, ask yourself if you're giving your best to God and those who pay you. Have you been slacking off? Maybe you've been stealing. Not just in the time you're not giving the company, but in what you've taken. Is there something you need to change? Do you need to pick up the pace? Do you need to give to God and your employer your best? As Colossians 3.23 says, Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord, rather than for men. We're going to come to the communion table now. And as we come to the communion table, what it reminds us of this morning is how valuable God thought you were. Remember that God shows no partiality to anyone. God did not look at some of us and say, well, they're worth dying for, but this one, that one's throwaway. What the Bible tells us in Romans 5, 8 is God demonstrated his own love for us in this while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. He said, you were so valuable. I went to the cross and I died for you. I paid that penalty of death for your sins. And as you think in terms of this table that we're about to approach in a moment, as we take the bread representing his body, as we take the cup representing his blood, this is a reminder to us of how valuable God thought we were, that he was willing to give his very life, to give his very best, the life of his son, Jesus Christ, the only begotten son of God, to die for us. 
If you're here today and you've never received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, I invite you to do so today. The Bible is clear that if we will turn from our sins and turn to Jesus as our Savior, that we will be made a part of the family of God. It means it does what we've just talked about. If we've done something wrong in the past, we confess that, and then we make a choice to change. So maybe you've uh, done some things that are not right, not only at work, but in other areas of your life. And what God says is, I want you to confess that. I want you to acknowledge it's wrong, that you've made a mistake, and to turn to me. And what the Bible says is that he has paid that penalty of death. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. So as the men pass the elements, I want you to take the bread and the cup if you've never come to faith and you're ready today to do that and to say to God, I'm accepting your son as my savior. You don't have to be a member of Wayside to partake of communion. You just have to be a member of the body of Christ. So if you're a believer in Jesus, we invite you to come to this table to take the bread and the cup and hold those and we'll take them together. Will you serve us, please? Here in our hand, we hold a piece of bread. Bread that represents the body of Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us with God there is no partiality. He lifted each and every one of our heads. He stared us in the face and he said, what I see is a sinner. A man, a woman, a boy, a girl who are lost. Lost because you've turned your back on me. Lost because you've committed an act of disobedience. And because of that, you owe the penalty of death. But God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He allowed his body to go to the cross to be the sacrifice, to restore and redeem us. The body of Jesus Christ, he did in remembrance of him. And here we hold a cup. A cup that represents, as Peter says, the precious blood of of Jesus Christ. The blood that was shed for us. Because as the book of Hebrews says, without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sin. There were sacrifices offered in the past at the temple, but those could not remove the penalty of sin. It was until Jesus Christ came, the one that John the Baptist said in John one twenty nine, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It was when Jesus came and poured out his blood to wash away our sins that we were made white as snow, the blood of Jesus, drinking in remembrance of him. Join me, please, as we pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word. Your word that shows us you are intimately involved in every detail of our life whether it's as husbands and wives or children to parents, parents to children, as we've seen in the earlier chapters of Ephesians, or today what we do with what is really the the biggest part of most of our lives, what we do at work. You care, God. And you want us to be living in a way that uh, our lives are a witness for you. And so we pray, Father, that if there's anything that we've heard this morning that that needs to change so that we would come under the guidelines you've given us. And Lord, help us. Help us to make those changes so that as we walk out of here today and go to our our workplaces, our homes, our schools, that, Father, we would be better witnesses for you. Would you help us, Lord, to live for you in a way that uh, honors and glorifies you? 
Father, we thank you that, as we said, you, you love us and you think of us and you're involved in every part of our life. And because of that, you took care of the biggest problem we would ever have. That problem where we needed a Savior. And as we approach this Good Friday and Easter season where we will have opportunities to talk to friends and coworkers and schoolmates about what the season means, would we be um, more aware of those needs? And would we live in ways so that our lives and our lips are not uh, drowning out the message of the gospel? Help us to be those who at work and wherever you have us are great witnesses for you and what you've done. Lord, thank you for your gift of redemption. Thank you for your gift of eternal life. May you take and use our lives for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.